0: Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you here. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors, and so glad you're here today. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and so whether you're uh, here in the worship center or joining us from our Ridge venue, I want to uh, invite you to, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week (coughs) for our time of teaching. You'll definitely want to take that out uh, and help you follow along. So you guys ready to go today? You ready to go? You hungry to learn? Amen, let's go. Father, we're just excited to be here, to be in your presence and your place underneath your leadership, and underneath the leadership of your spirit who hovers over this place as you hovered over the first creation to call forth beautiful things. God, the same God that said, let there be light is God who's here with us, and we acknowledge your presence, and we pray that you'd be speaking with power with your presence today, uh, unfolding, uh, as your word says, the that, that beautiful things from your law. And so we pray that uh, you would be speaking to us by name individually. We pray for the power of your spirit. We pray you give us ears to hear what the spirit would say to your church. And we pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Well, our story starts today a long, long, long time ago. In the beginning, (laughs) God created the heavens, and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. In Hebrew, the earth was tohu vabohu. (laughs) And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Well, today, we are continuing our series that we've been in for the last 9 or 10 weeks called Metamorphosis. Face to face. And for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome. Uh, this is a series that is based on a letter from one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Jesus followers that he's actually led most of them to the Lord about five or six years uh, before. It's in a major cosmopolitan, one of the most important cities in the ancient Roman Empire. It's called Corinth, it's in modern day southern Greece. And uh, so we call this letter from Paul his second letter to the Corinthians. And the reason we call this series Metamorphosis is that one of the letters, uh, one of the words that Paul uses in this letter to describe God's vision for our lives is the Greek word metamorphao, which is where we get our English word metamorphosis, which describes a slow, gradual, but profound change like caterpillar to butterfly. And it's the word that Paul uses in this letter to describe God's vision for our lives of transformation. And when we come to Jesus, we enter into a, what Paul describes, a face-to-face relationship with God through Christ. And as we're transformed by listening and following the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, today we come to one of the most important passages in the letter, really one of the most important passages in my mind in the New Testament, where Paul talks about uh, not only his vision of metamorphosis, but how this vision starts, how this transformation starts in a new, in a person's life. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that is called Metamorphosis, the new creation. And if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. So Second Corinthians chapter 5, we'll pick it up at verse 11 where we left off last week. And so he says, uh, since then we, we meaning uh, Apostle Paul, uh, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, let's set this up. If you've been here the last couple weeks, Paul's been talking about the next life. Hey, Paul, why are you willing to suffer so much for Jesus? He says, hey, if you knew what's coming, uh, the amazing future that God has, it's It's real. It's physical. It's amazing. If you knew that, you would do what I do. You'd focus this life on the next life, live every day, this day for that day. Um, And so we talked about that. And at the end of that passage last week, he said uh, the reality is, as followers of Jesus, everyone is going to go one on one with Jesus at the final uh, judgment. And uh, we're gonna, gonna get, uh, account for our lives for the deeds done in our body, uh, whether good or evil, so we can, re- can receive what to do us. And so he said, so, hey, this is a big deal. Uh, it should strike some fear in us, not in the sense of terror, but in the sense of the gravitas of the reality of that situation. And he says, so since we know what it is to fear the Lord, then we persuade people. That's why we do what we do as apostles, sharing this message of Jesus. And so he goes on in the middle of verses, he says, "What what we are as apostles is plain to God. In other words, he can see our heart, our motives. I hope it's plain to your conscience. So remember, one of the big issues going on in this letter is that there are many in Corinth who are questioning, challenging Paul's authority, questioning his integrity. And so once again, he's defending his motives here. And he says, I hope that you know, what what we are is plain to God, like he can see our hearts. I hope it's plain to you as well. he says, we're not trying to commend ourselves, verse 12, to you again. Um, You know, the, the criticism was every time he goes to defend himself, hey, there you go again, promoting yourself. And he said, hey, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So later in, a, in, later in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we're going to meet these new Jewish leaders that have come in, making great claims about themselves. They're gifted speakers. They're claiming amazing spiritual, mystical experiences with God. And the people have been very impressed with these externals. And he said, so, hey, the reason we're defending ourselves in our heart is so that you can kind of have ammunition to answer those who are taking pride in externals and not in what's in the heart, and then he says something kind of mysterious. He says, "If we are what?" Okay, good. I've got fourteen of you. I know, let's read it, in. verse thirteen. So, if we are what? Out of our mind, as some say, uh, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. And the question is, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, what do you mean if you're out of your mind? And who's saying that? And the honest truth is we're not really sure. A couple big possibilities. One, uh, it's possible that there were those in Corinth who are saying, Paul is over the top when it comes to passion. He just takes this Jesus thing too seriously. He's out of his mind, right? Now, it's interesting because the same Greek word that's used here, out of your mind, was once used to describe Jesus. And some of you may remember this back in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus was first launching his ministry, his family came to get him and said, he's out of his mind, right? So this may be the accusation, Paul, you're out of your mind, you're taking this stuff too seriously, you're taking yourself too seriously, do you think it's the apostle of Jesus, you know, you're out of your mind, it could be that, but... Uh, one thing we're going to find out about these Jewish teachers later on is they were very big on their supernatural experiences that they claimed, kind of not not like just mental, but like out of their mind, like out of the body, like supernatural, mystical experiences with God. And Paul, as we'll see in chapter 12, he's had some amazing experiences, uh, like he's been taken up in the third heaven, but he doesn't talk about those much. He doesn't think that the people's, uh, his reputation should be built on that. His reputation should be built on his calling from Jesus, his character, and so there's some scholars who think what he says, if we're out of our mind, it's for God, it's like, hey, those experiences are between me and the Lord. It's not really to share publicly. But however you understand this, the bottom line is the same. Paul says, we do what we do for God and for you. It's not, if we're we're out of our mind, it's for God. If we do this, it's for you, that we're in this for you. This is not about us. And then he says in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. This is what drives us, is Jesus' love for the world. Because we're convinced that one died, of course, that one is who, Yeah, because Jesus died for all. And what that means is that therefore all died. All followers of Jesus, he he died for us so that we could die to our old life. And he said, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for whom? Themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. And so Jesus, um, so Paul says, hey, when Jesus died, it wasn't simply so you could be forgiven. He died for you, so you could die with him to your old life and rise with him to a new life—a life that's lived to please him. And we'll come back to that later on. And he says, in um, so verse fifteen, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now this was the big problem with the Corinthians. They viewed everything and everyone from a worldly point of view. They measured a person's value. They measured where they were successful based on worldly standards. So for example, they struggled with Paul as a leader because he's always being beat up, always thrown in prison. Worldly point of view. They struggled how they saw each other based on a worldly point. Who's rich? Who's powerful? Who has the most spiritual gifts? They're more important. And he says, so He says, so from now on, because we've died with Christ to our old life and our old way of looking at things, then we don't view one another, uh, you shouldn't be viewing me from a worldly point of view. He says, though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. So he uses Jesus as an example, and he says, you know, there was a time, Corinthians, before you came to Jesus, before I came to Jesus, we saw Jesus in a worldly point of view. Like, he said, there was a time in my life I saw Jesus as a blasphemous, dangerous, spiritual heretic who got what he deserved. He said, I don't see him that way any longer. And in the same way that we should view not only Jesus differently, but how we see one another should be viewed completely differently. And then he says something amazing. He makes this big statement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which is Paul's favorite way of describing a Christian, someone who's come to Christ, if anyone's in Christ, the what? The new creation has what? Come, notice not will come, has come. And then just in case we missed it, he says the old creation, the old is God, the new creation is here. Now, what I wanna do from this passage today is I want to focus in on this theme, this topic of new creation. What does it mean to be part of the new creation? What does it mean to live our lives as a new creation person? And so there in your note sheet is a section called Metamorphosis, the new creation, the new life. And what I want to do is break this down, just focus on two big picture principles that Paul teaches, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to experience metamorphosis in our life. And so the first one goes like this that the new creation starts at conversion. So this is what I want you to catch, is that when it comes to the New Testament, it comes to Jesus, it comes to the apostles, there are many different word pictures, there are many different metaphors, there are many different images that the New Testament writers, Jesus and the apostles, that they use to describe what happens, catch this, supernaturally to someone when we come to Christ. So think with me. Like one of the most famous, one of the most popular, is one that Jesus introduced in John chapter three. He said, unless someone is born again, or in the Greek, born from above, by the Spirit, they can't see or enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So he says that, unless someone's born again, he can't enter the kingdom. And so he describes what happens when someone comes in the new relationship with God through Christ as being born again. Now, the apostle John picks up on this. He'll talk about it. We'll look at it later. The apostle Peter uses this phrase. So what they're saying is that coming to Jesus, something supernatural happens. We get way too familiar with this language. Imagine you never heard this before. That when someone comes to Jesus, something supernatural happens It's so big so revolutionary, it's like starting life over. It's like getting a new life. It's like being born again. Think of another phrase that we use a lot, but we've, we've kind of missed the word picture of it. But one of the most common ways that the New Testament talks about what happens when a person comes to Christ is salvation or being saved being rescued, right, like a rescue mission. Another famous uh, one that kind of common phrase that the New Testament uses to describe this supernatural event that happens when we come to Jesus is redemption. But of course in our circles we don't even, we don't use that word very much, you know. So, but in the ancient Roman Empire in the first century to redeem someone meant to purchase them out of slavery and set them free or to buy back a prisoner of war and redeem them. And so so in the New Testament says, when someone comes to Jesus, they are bought back out of slavery and set free. Another image that's used often uh, is ransom. Remember, Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. We understand ransom, don't we? We understand like a ransom is to rescue hostage. So there's many powerful images, word pictures, illustrations, metaphors that the Bible uses to describe what happens supernaturally to someone who comes to Jesus. But one of my favorites and one of the most powerful is the one that Paul uses today of new creation. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you've memorized this verse, like i probably 10 years old, memorized this verse. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, it becomes white noise. We miss what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, he's using an image that comes out of the big picture story the Bible is telling about our race. The big picture story of our race starts at creation in Genesis 1, And he ends in new creation in Revelation 21 and 22. The story of our race is a story of a race that was created to be like God. A race that was created to be in his image. A race that was created to be in relationship with God. A race that was created to rule over creation for God. But through rebellion lost all that. And drug all creation down with it. So that now this creation is characterized by death and destruction at every level. And you think of how we started the day, we think of you know Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be, and he said, in the spirit of God, hovering over the waters, and he begins to call forth beautiful things, order out of chaos. And he begins to structure order. In the first three days, he structures. In the last three days, he fills this order. And this is beautiful description, and, and did you know that seven times in this opening account, Genesis chapter 1, seven times, no accident, seven times the author says, and it was good. And the seventh time, he said, it is very good. And the high point of that creation account is the creation of the first man, the first woman to rule over this creation, to be like God, in relationship with God, to rule over it for God. But when we rebel, all of that's lost. We drag the whole creation down into death and destruction. But the story of the Bible is how God continues to love us, continues to come after us, and have a promise that one day he will return to his people and not only forgive us and re- that he will restore us, he will make us like the creator again, that we will be transformed, we will be with him again, that we will rule over creation for him again, and that not just us, but all creation will be healed and restored. And this is the story we're a part of. And the Old Testament prophets talked about this, like there in your note sheet in Isaiah 65, Isaiah, towards the end of his prophecies, God speaks and says, see, God says, I will create what? New heavens. new heavens and a new earth. He said, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. At the end of the New Testament, the apostle Peter quoting Isaiah talks about when Jesus returns, and this is what he says in 2 Peter 3, but in keeping with his promise, and there's God's promise through Isaiah, we are looking forward to what, a new heaven and a new earth. He's quoting Isaiah. See, the story that we're involved with is the big picture story of the Bible. Is a creation that was created very good that was destroyed through our rebellion. That one day will be restored again. The new heavens, new earth, a new creation. And here's what Paul is saying, which is remarkable. What Paul is saying is that the promise of Isaiah, that one day God will return and restore and recreate our world. He said, when a man or woman comes to Christ, the new creation at the end of time has broken into time. And that new creation has started in that person. Supernaturally. The same God who hovered over creation and said, let there be light, has broken into that person's life and said, let there be light, and the new creation has started. Now, this is powerful. It's not the first time that Paul has said this or referred to this new creation. In fact, back in chapter 4, Dre was teaching on this a couple weeks ago, in chapter four, if you remember, some of you remember this, back in chapter three, at the end of chapter three, Paul said that when someone comes to Christ, the veil is taken away and we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you remember that? And then he goes on in chapter four, he says that right now, the God of this age has put a veil over the mind of unbelievers so they can't see the glory of God in the face of Christ. He says, but, and then 4.6 he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Genesis 1. We started with the story today. The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is what's happened. Is that when a man or woman comes to Christ, it's like the same God who hovered over creation and said, Let there be light, hovers over the life of this person and says, Let there be light. And the veil is removed. And for the first time, we can see who Jesus is. And the new creation starts in that person's life. Now, sometimes at that moment when someone comes to Christ, sometimes it's a flash of lightning. Uh, this is what happened for the Apostle Paul. In fact, this verse, chapter four, verse six, is probably a reference to Paul's coming to Christ because remember when he came to Jesus, he was on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, he sees brilliant light, the glory of God in the face of Christ and he reveals uh, who Jesus is for the first time. But what, as, you look at, uh, as you look at the way different people come to Christ, for some people, it's like a flash of lightning. For some of you, it was like that. Someone shared Jesus with you, and as they shared, something happened. It's like your eyes are open, you could see what they were saying was true. Maybe it was at an evangelistic crusade, maybe it was something else, a TV thing, but all of a sudden, lights went on, you could see it was a flashlight. For others of us, it was like the slow dawning of a new day, where the sun slowly begins to rise, and you slowly can begin to make out shapes. And colors. And as the sun begins to rise, God is saying, Let there be light. And all of a sudden, you can say, How could I not see it before? It's so clear who Jesus is. So Paul says that when someone comes to Christ, that what's happening is the new creation promised in the prophets is happening in their life. There is a supernatural word of God. God hovers the light, says, Let there be light. And it's a new day. The new creation that will be fulfilled when we, Jesus comes back. We get a new bodies. Starts in that person's life. Notice he doesn't say that it will come. He says it has come. Look again there in your note sheet. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation what has come. The old is God. The new is here. That. The future new age has broken into that person's life. The new creation has come. Now, when this happens, this supernatural event happens and the the lights go on and someone comes to Christ, when this happens, there are certain uh, telltale signs that spring has come and winter is gone. And it will vary from person to person, but there's a lot of similarity. Uh, Let me share a story with you. Uh, this last year, I've gotten to know a young man, uh, his mid-20s, and uh, he gave me permission to share his story for this message. Um, but he, he grew up in a non-Christian home. In fact, it was of a completely different religion from a different part of the world, so he knew very little, like basically nothing about Christianity, nothing about Jesus. Um, and, uh, and so it is, you know, uh, he's, like I say, he's mid-20s, and a couple years ago, uh, there was a, a young woman um, who, uh, unbeknownst to him, you know, he didn't even understand the language then, but had come to Christ. And her life had been changed, like drastically changed. And she was an attractive young woman, and she, you know, she started inviting him to come with her to a Bible study. And he had never really heard of a Bible study. And he wasn't sure what happens at a Bible study. But what he was sure of, he had no interest in going. And uh, he said, but she continued to ask him over the months. And she said, he said, frankly, it was almost like she was nagging me. He said, but she was so sweet, I couldn't really get upset with her. He said, I thought she just, you know, liked me or was interested in me or something like that. And so, what's interesting is that, meanwhile, in his life, uh, there's some other interesting dynamics going on. So he—he's uh, a handsome guy. He's a winsome guy. He's uh, a popular guy. Um, he uh, had started a new business on his own, and it was going really well. And he was making more money than he ever had. He uh, uh, had about 15,000 followers on Instagram kind of that were helping to fund this business. Uh, and so things were going great. He had, um, he had uh, uh, a lot of women in his life. His, his, like, his dating life was very full, uh, kind of a partying life. And uh, so on the outside, things were going great. But on the inside, there was an increasing gnawing sense of hunger. There was an increasing sense, and maybe because things were going so well. You know, often in life, we run after something we think will make us happy. And when we don't get it, we just keep running because we still think it'll make us happy. But sometimes when you get there, you find out that, you know, it's not what I thought it would be. Uh, Maybe that's why it was for him, but outwardly his life was great, but inwardly was a growing sense of hunger, a desire for something more, a sense of meaning, a purpose, a sense of is this all there is in life? To make more money and get more stuff and more women, that's just kind of it? And so maybe it's for that reason that on this particular week, He says, yes, I'll go with you to your Bible study. And he doesn't know what to expect, and when he gets there, it's super weird to him. He's never seen anything like this. You know, they're talking about the Bible, they're worshiping, people have hands raised, so weird. (laughs) But there was something there, and it started him on a journey And about six months, the lights began to go on. And a critical turning point early on in that as lights were going on, he was just in that process of coming to Jesus, that he was in a worship service one day and was worshiping and he sensed God speaking to him and saying, you need to give up your business. If you're gonna follow me, you need to give up your business. And he's like, are you serious? I've killed myself for two years, and this business is going so well. But he felt like God was really clear, and he wanted He wanted this relationship that he was discovering. He said yes, and his life began to take off spiritually. He began to change and grow like a weed, and, and he began to like supernaturally change. He had this new passion for God, and a passion for his word, and, and a new love for God and a love for people and a new moral compass, a new sense of right and wrong, and a, and just a joy and a sense of purpose and peace that he never experienced. It was like supernatural. Right? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that when someone comes to Christ, this is not a little thing. This is the new creation promised by the prophets is being fulfilled. The power of the coming age has broken into time and space in their life and changed them at the core level, at the deepest level of their being, and they will never be the same again. Now, here's the thing. Although every story is going to be different, someone coming to Christ, there are certain things that are consistent in everyone who comes to Christ. There are certain telltale signs of new creation. And I want to spend some time here because it's so important we understand this before we go on. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the new birth. Now, remember we talked about in the Bible, there's different images used to describe the same event. Uh, we talked about one of the most popular uh, images used by Jesus, by John, by by uh, by Peter. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say John Paul and wrinkled back. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, by by Jesus, uh, by by John, and by Paul um, is this image of the new birth. So, so John's language. He, John prefers the metaphor of new birth, where Paul prefers new creation. But uh, in the little letter of 1 John, the Apostle John explains to us, here's some of the telltale signs of what happens when someone comes to Jesus across the board. Here are the signs that someone has been born again, that the new creation has come. And I want to highlight three of those for you. The first one there on your note sheet is new insight. The first thing are one of the first signs of the new birth. There's a new understanding, a new revelation of who God is, who his word is, of who Jesus is. There's a new like spiritual perception of reality. It's like before we were blind, now we can see. It's like the, the, someone has taken away the veil and we can see spiritual truth and like where's it been all along? And so the way that uh, John puts it there on your note sheet, is it everyone who believes that Jesus is the what? The Christ. Now remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name, Christ is a title. <laughs> what does Christ mean? A Messiah, yes. Hello. Man, that's about to quit. And it's like, and I've been saying this for 14 and a half years. Come on. Yeah, Christ is the Greek equivalent. It's uh, Christ is Christos in Greek, which means anointed one. Uh, in Hebrew, Mashiach is anointed one. So Christos, Mashiach, same, same word. So in, so in Greek, then Christ means Messiah. So look what John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Now, this was a big step because Jesus was so different, a Messiah, than what was expected. Messiahs don't, win, don't lose, they win, they don't get crucified on a cross. So to believe that Jesus is the Messiah takes a supernatural work of God, right? And so John says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is what? born of God like this supernaturally been born the new creation has come. Uh, look at number two number the second sign the second sign of the new birth or the new creation is a new moral compass. Now I want you to catch this a, 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 a new what I mean by this is they have a, the person has a new intuitive sense of right and wrong. this is more than Someone tells you, "Hey, you're a Christian now. Stop doing this. Start doing this." It's more than just reading the Bible. The Bible says there is a new intuitive sense of right and wrong, and a passion to do what is right. Catch this: things that used many things that used to seem right now seem like I can't believe I thought that was right. It seems so obviously wrong, and many things I used to uh, seem uh, were, were wrong. It's like, are you kidding? It's so right. And it's a, this is a supernatural perception issue. There's a new internal moral compass. This is the way John puts it in John chapter three. No one who is born of God, catch that language. No one who's born, this is the whole point. What happens when a person's born of God by the Holy Spirit? No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Now catch this, if you read all of John, First John, he's not saying we will never sin. In fact, in the previous chapter, he says, if you sin, here's what you do. Chapter one. Um, chapter two, he, he talks about uh, you know, uh, this more. So he's not saying that Christians will never sin. But what he's saying is at a core level, there's been a change at the deepest part of you that is a new love for righteousness and a hatred for sin. You just can't go on living the same way. And look what he says. He says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. I love this. It's just so so uh, uh, kind of earthy. He says, because God's seed, God's sperm, this is God's seed, his DNA remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. At the core of your being, something has changed and there's a new hunger for what's right and there's an aversion to what's wrong, and this doesn't mean that we'll never struggle or battle, but something has deeply changed within us. We're no longer okay just living in sin. It's interesting, um, this young man I was talking about, as we talked about his journey, he said one of the first things he noticed that was different in his life when he came to Jesus was that prior to this he'd been very promiscuous. He was a handsome young guy. He had uh, all kinds of women that he wanted, and he would sleep with all of them. He never really thought. He said that he had not been raised, that that was wrong, so he never thought twice about it. He said, but when he came to Jesus, there was this kind of instant sense, like, that's not okay. And it wasn't like someone was just telling him it's not okay. It's like intuitively he's sensing something is not right with this. Now, catch this he shared, and this is very true, that that he had to battle this because he still has his old fallen human nature, right? And and, uh, you still have all these habits and patterns, and so he had to battle this to bring his body under the leadership of King Jesus. But from the very beginning, there was a new sense of right and wrong and a hunger to do this, to do what is right. Number three, the third change, the third sign of spring is a new love. That when someone comes to Jesus they're born again, they have this new love, a new love for God and a new love for people, but catches especially a new love for other Christ followers who have been born again because we're part of the same family. And so this is the way John puts it. Dear friends, let us, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been what? born of God, and knows God, right, so uh, this, this is a big change, again, supernatural, uh, and my young friend, he said that is interesting, because when he came to Christ, he said prior to coming to Christ, he had lots of people he knew, uh, he was popular, he had lots of friends, but he said that honestly, his, that as he looked at people, people were a means to an end, And he said that after he came to Christ, he suddenly realized that people aren't to be used, people are to be loved. And there was this new hunger in his life, not to use use people for his own, but to serve them for their good. Now, what we're seeing here is just a case study of what happens when someone comes to Christ. That when someone comes to Christ, that at the core of your being, something changed not something peripheral but at the core of your being at the deepest part of you something changed forever and what happened is that the new creation came that god said let there be light the eyes were opened lights went on and you were changed at the core as the dna of jesus was placed in your life and his love and his passion for what is right and true and good, his desire to please his father that all this you received at a deep level. Now, so that's the first principle, right? That that, uh, new creation starts at conversion. The second principle goes like this, that the new creation restores our true purpose. So this is what we learned, right? That we were created, uh, Genesis 1, we were created to, uh, to be like God in his core character, in his image. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to rule over creation for God. So catch this, we were created to be like him and to live for him. And this is what we lost when we rebelled against God as a race, that we bought into the lie, that no, to live life to the full, you need to live not for God, you need to live for yourself. And when we bought into that lie, it's led to death at every level of human life. It It leads to death spiritually, our relationship with God, it leads to death psychologically, it leads to death emotionally, have you ever known someone just super lives for themselves all the time? How it leads to death, emotionally, relationally, sociologically, politically. It leads to death at every part of human culture. And so when Jesus came, I want you to catch this. He did not come just to forgive us, he came to restore us. That we'd be restored to be like God in our core character, our relationship with God will be restored, but that we would also be restored in our true purpose, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who created us and died for us. And this is what Paul said today, there in your notes, 2 Corinthians five fifteen. it said he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for whom? themselves but for him who died for them and was raised this is what we were created for we were created to live for him for his glory it's what we were designed to do it's what we lost and this is what jesus has come to restore now you can see jesus model this in his own life like if you were to do a study of the life of jesus this is a great study i'd recommend it just study the gospel of john what does it tell you about the motivation of jesus what drives him And if you were to study the Gospel of John, what you would see time and time again, that what drives Jesus, his top passion in his life is he wants to know, to love, and to please his Father. It is his passion. In fact, there in your notes, Jay, put just a couple examples. But in John eight, Jesus said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I what? I always do what pleases him. And not just at a sense of duty, but his passion. In fact, he goes on in chapter four, he says, my food, and think what food does. It's what energizes us, sustains us, fuels us, empowers us. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is his passion, and this is what Jesus has come to do. When a man or woman comes to Jesus, he did not come to you simply so that you can be forgiven. He came to transform and restore your true purpose so that you can no longer live for yourself, but for the one who created you and for the one who died for you. And this is our path to life. This is the call of the new creation. Now, Often, as Christ followers, even after we come to Christ, it takes us a while to figure this out, that we still have our old fallen human nature with its natural pull to the dark side, the Bible calls the flesh, right? We still have our ancient enemy who's constantly lying and saying, if you want to be truly happy and find freedom and fulfillment, live for yourself. Choose your own course. Do your own thing. Don't let anyone else tell you what to do other than your culture that everyone does the same thing. (laughs) But mark your own path. (laughs) Be your own God. It's a path of fulfillment. And we still have the world around us constantly trying to squeeze us into its own mold. But the reality is is that as followers of Jesus, we will never be happy until we respond to the call of the new creation because it's the deepest part of us. It's the truest part of us. And so as we learn to listen and follow what the Spirit is saying to us, what happens is we come in alignment with our truest nature, our true calling, and then and then only do we find the beauty, the freedom, the power, the joy, the peace, the purpose that we were designed to live, which is all part of the new creation. So so, crea- so the first principle is that the new creation starts at conversion, it's a fulfillment of ancient prophecy, supernatural. Second one is that part of that new creation and restores us to our true purpose. And it leads to one important question. And it's there on your note sheet, And hopefully this will make more sense now that we've spent some time to develop this, but section is called The New Creation, The Key Question. And so here's the question I have for you today. Are you being who you are? Are you being who you are in the deepest part of you, the truest part of you? Are you being true to who you are, the new you? Are you being who you are? The reality is, if you've come to Jesus then you are what Paul calls in Christ. And if you're in Christ, the new creation has come. And what that means is what I know about you is in the heart of heart, something has changed. The deepest part of you, below the flesh, below the world, below the enemy, the deepest part of you, something has changed at a core level. And this is what I know about you. First of all, you have clarity about who Jesus is. The veil has been removed. You understand who he is. You have this new sense of right and wrong. You have a new love for God and a new love for people. And deep inside of you, the deepest passion, no matter how far you've buried it, the deepest passion in you is to live to please your father. And here's the thing you will never be happy until you surrender to the call of the new creation in your life because it's who you are. And see, the enemy will come, and he will come and say, why do you keep trying to battle this sin? Why do you even try to stand up against this temptation? Why do you pretend to be something you're not? Just admit it. You know who you are. You know who you're born. You know where you were raised. You know what your family's like. You know what your history was. You know how you did in high school. You know what they said about you in third grade. You know what was done to you. You know what you've done to others. Why do you pretend to be something you're not? Why do you keep trying to be something you're not? This is not who you are. This is who you are. Why don't you stop pretending and just give up and be who you are? And God comes and he says, "That is not the truth." All that you described is part of the old creation. The new creation has come. That is not who you are. You are not defined by what your mother or father said about you. You are not defined by what your sister said about you. You're not defined by what your third grade teacher or your high school coach said about you. You're not defined by your high school record in school. You're not defined by what was done to you. You're not defined by the sin that was perpetrated in your life. And you're not defined by what your, your sins and failures. It's not who you are at the core of your being. The new creation has come. You are new in Christ you need. To rise up and be who you are. And so the enemy, the enemy will come and say, You are not, you'll never beat this sin. You will never beat this sin. It's just too hard. You will never overcome your insecurities. It's just who you are. You will never be used with the background that you have and the mistakes and failures that you've made. But the Holy Spirit will never say that. The Holy Spirit will say, I have come to live in you. And Jesus died for you so that you can die with him to that old life. And you can rise with him through the power of the Spirit. It's not who you are, this is who you are. Now is the hour, now is the time to listen to what's deepest inside of you and stop denying it and stop ignoring it and start listening to the call of the new creation and rise up and listen and follow my spirit because I have come, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, it's time to rise up and be who you are, amen, amen. So let's pray about that, hey let's pray about that, let's go to prayer. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Um, I want to spend some time just reflecting on this reality of the new creation. <laughs> and I want to ask you some questions. I want to ask you some questions like, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, that, uh, how are you defining yourself? What is the loudest voice in your head? Where are those voices coming from that define you? And is the voice that you're listening to, the voice of the Holy Spirit calling you to rise up? Awake sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Or are the voices in your head voices of the old creation? And for many of us here, that God wants to do a work in our life. He wants us to leave the shackles behind. And he wants us to rise up and embrace this good news that the new creations come and that Christ lives in you. And if he lives in you, if Christ lives in you, then all things are possible through him who loved you and gave himself for you. That if Christ is in you, that the power to die to the old and rise to the new is within you. Not because of you, but because of him and your trust in him and so what is it in your past that you need to let go of and stop defining you is there something is is your past is what's been said to you what's been done to you is it things that you have done mistakes you've made failures like what's defining you that's holding you back for some of you here right now you're in bondage to sin you're in bondage to maybe it's pornography maybe it's sexual sin Maybe it's your finances that you've never really trusted Jesus with that. You've told them that you want to follow him, but, but you want to hold on control your finances. But Jesus said that no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. You can't serve God in money. You've got to let go of that. For some of you, it might be what others think of you. Uh, for some of you, it's what you think of yourself that the loudest voice in your own head is, is, is the one in your own head. It's your voice rather than listening to the voice of Jesus, the Spirit inside of you. What he's telling you is actually true. But is there something today? Is there a sin? Is there a mindset? Is there a paradigm? Is there an image? Is there something that you need to let go? And the Holy Spirit's calling you today just to let go of it and to (laughs) be who you are and to rise with him to a new life. And then I want to talk with those of you here that maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but as I've been talking today, you want to be. That even, even as I've been talking, you sense that God is here. You sense this is true. The veil's being removed right now, and you you want to give your life to Jesus. You want the new creation to start. You want to be uh, forgiven. You want to be changed from the inside out. You want to be have a relationship with God. You want to live for his, his, his purpose in your life, not your own. And you're ready to lay down your arms and, and to ask God to forgive you and, and to come under his leadership. And if that's you, if you want to experience a new creation, then today I want to lead us in a very simple prayer. But it's a prayer to ask Jesus in your life and that the new creation would start. And if, the, if that's where you're at, if you just pray along with me, You can pray in your mind, um, in your heart, under your breath, whatever works, but God will hear if you're sincere. So let's just pray. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, and I ask you to do the work of the new creation. I pray you'd open my eyes to see who you are. You'd change me by the power of your spirit to be like you. You teach me how to follow you, not just this life, but the next life. I thank you for your death for me that makes all this possible. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just gave your life to Christ, first of all, I want to welcome you to the new creation. And secondly, I would love to send you a letter this week with just some simple suggestions. Hey, here's some first steps in your new relationship with Jesus. And so inside your program is a little card called the Connect Card. If you fill out the front with your information, on the back just say, I gave my life to Jesus or I asked Jesus into my life. We'll know what you're talking about. We'll send you that letter just to help you on your way. So Lord, we thank you for the new creation. We thank you that we're not defined by our past or other people we're defined by you. And it's not just a mental thing, it's, it's like deeper than that. It's a spiritual thing, it's a supernatural thing, it's being born from above, it's, it's being rescued and redeemed, it's being ransomed, it's being experienced the power of the new creation in our life. And so Father, we pray as we worship, as we worship you as our creator, the one who spoke the galaxies into existence, but the one who hovered over our lives to speak, let there be light. We pray that you would meet us now, continue to do your work, and we pray you'd use these gifts and offerings that we're bringing to fund your kingdom and the ministry of light. And We pray this in your name, amen.